I'm Adam Drent, and uh, here I am again. I've got something new and a little different for you this time. Uh, one question that I'd love to get a lot but never get is this. What are your major influences? That's a question that I'd like to answer in part right now. If you want a more full answer, you'll need to gather your courage and actually ask me. But for now, for the purposes of this recording, my unsolicited partial answer is that one of my biggest influences is the little-known uh, late 1980s direct-to-video cassette cartoon show Lofty Longings. I actually referenced Lofty Longings in my bedtime story called The Moon's View, although in that story I called the show Watch Your Step, which is why I use that name for this thing that you're listening to now. Now, when I say that Lofty Longings is little known, I mean that the culture at large seems to know almost nothing about it. It's almost entirely unrepresented on the internet, for example. And you can find almost anything on the internet, even weird news, such as news about water skiing animals, largest fruits, and ironic deaths. The truth is that I've never met anyone else outside of my brother and sister who's seen it before. And they weren't really fans, they just watched it because I watched it so much, and there was only one TV-VCR combo in the house, and I was the oldest, so I could kind of impose my will. But I figure there must be someone else besides us who's seen it, and it stands to reason that that someone, or those someones, would be some of you. The people who listen to Bedtime Stories, Out of All Doors, One Man's World, and The Mispronouncer, even if you've only seen an episode or two. If so, then this will be a treat for you. I hope so, anyway. But if you're one of the no-doubt many people who have not seen even one episode of Lofty Longings, don't worry, this will be a treat for you, too. I'm just going to need to take a while to explain a bunch of stuff to you. Because what this is, is the introductory episode of what I hope will be semi-regular installments of my Lofty Longings fan fiction. So because a lot of you won't know anything about the show, in order for you to get anything out of my fanfiction, you'll need to be brought up to speed a little bit. And I promise that I'll be writing this fanfiction under the operating assumption that most of your knowledge of the show will be based only on what I've told you. So you shouldn't be too lost. But So this installment is just going to be an introduction, an explanation of the premise of the show and the characters, and then next time, if all goes according to plan, we'll actually get going on what I'm hoping will be some good fanfiction. So right off the bat, you should know that Lofty Longings is almost impossible to find. There were a total of 116 episodes made, as far as I know. They were released on 29 video cassette tapes, four episodes to a tape. The only place I ever saw them was at my local library in North Webster, Indiana, where I checked out every tape over and over again, with a few notable exceptions. My library did not have tape number 17, and no matter how many times I begged Mrs. Leinbach to try to find it, or order it from somewhere she never could, so I have never seen episodes 65, 66, 67, and 68. Also, although there were indeed a total of 116 episodes made, I refuse to acknowledge episodes 109 to 116. To me, the show ends at tape number 27. I've seen the episodes on tapes 28 and 29 one time each, and that was enough. I won't be addressing them again, except perhaps to reiterate my disdain for them. Also, I should note that in 2003, while home from college on my winter break, I went to the library to check out a few Lofty Longings tapes, and they were all gone. Mrs. Leinbach said that they took up too much space on the shelf, considering the fact that they were almost never checked out, and also that the library was trying to get rid of all their VHS tapes anyway. Apparently, they were sold all at once to someone at a library book sale, but she couldn't remember who bought them. So they're still out there somewhere, but I haven't seen an episode in at least 13 years, and I really miss it. Fortunately, I watched the 104 good episodes I had access to so many times 
that I remember them very vividly. Also, I took copious notes. Now I should tell you some facts about who made the show and some aspects of the show's presentation. Number one, Lofty Longings, as far as I can tell from the credits, was primarily the work of two men and two women. Janice Krieg and Timothy Prianti share writing and directing credits for every episode of the show, and Reuben Kim and Renette Fleet are jointly credited with animating every episode. The only other people involved were the voice actors, and of course, at the end of the credits, it always said, funded and supported by MVQ. I never figured out if those were the initials of a wealthy patron, or if it was the name of an organization, or what. If any of you have any idea what MVQ might have stood for, let me know. Number two, the animation in Lofty Longings was somewhat simplistic, as one would expect from an animation team that only consisted of two people, but they managed to make the simplicity into an asset. It always felt like a deliberate stylistic choice and not something they settled on out of necessity. I'm not an expert on animation by any stretch of the imagination, so I don't want to say something like bold lines or expressive color palette, because that would sound pretentious. Those are not phrases I should be allowed to use. But I would just like to say that while you probably wouldn't describe the animation in Lofty Longings as detailed, they always chose to depict all of the right details. And number three, Lofty Longings also had a laugh track, but it was used very sparingly and it was clearly only two people laughing, a man and a woman with very distinctive laughs. Also, sometimes you'd only hear one of the laughs as if the other one didn't find that moment particularly funny. I like to imagine that the laugh track laughs are the laughs of Janice and Timothy, the writers slash directors. Now I should tell you about the premise of the show and introduce you to the important characters. Lofty Longings takes place high in the Risky Mountains, a beautiful but forbidding environment almost entirely untouched by the outside world, one of the notable exceptions being Lofty Longings Alpine Guidance, a small business dedicated to leading individuals or small groups on guided tours of the more accessible areas of the Risky Mountains, as well as leading longer expeditions into even wilder areas. The guiders and other employees who work for Lofty Longings all live together in Lofty Lodge, an enormous wooden structure built on the edge of a sheer cliff. In fact, most of Lofty Lodge sticks out and hangs down over the edge of the cliff, sort of like a person who's got her arms and part of her torso up on the edge of a cliff, but her lower torso and legs are hanging down against the face of the cliff. Except Lofty Lodge isn't shaped like a person. Lofty Lodge looks like it could fall off of the cliff and crash thousands of feet down to the ground at any moment, but it never does. Not even when the whole lodge starts swaying and creaking in the midst of intense thunderstorms and snowstorms and sometimes just straight-up windstorms. Lofty Lodge is a marvel of primitive engineering, as one of the characters on the show always says. Also, different people have added on to Lofty Lodge over the course of its long existence, giving it a sort of mutant look, like it just grew extra rooms onto itself without any overarching plan. And there are tunnels and rooms dug into the rock beneath Lofty Lodge. It's awesome. There's a pulley and rope system that uses a giant gas-powered engine to turn a giant crank that raises and lowers a giant wooden platform all the way up and down the face of the cliff. That's how employees and guests get up to Lofty Lodge, and back down, of course, unless they fall or jump. And that's how the employees get supplies, letters and packages from people, and other stuff they want that they've ordered and paid for with their Alpine guidance income. But everyone agrees that the ride on that platform is scary. There's a railing all the way around the platform, but it's only waist-high, and fatal falls are not unheard of. Maybe I'll get more into the specifics of Lofty Lodge some other time, because there's a lot more to say, but for now we should move on to the characters. Number one is Mr. Jasons's. Lofty Longings Alpine Guidance is owned by a man named Mr. Jasons's, who never appears in the show. 
Mr. Jason's communicates with his employees at Lofty Lodge by sending messages carried by an elderly golden eagle named Mrs. Jason's, who isn't actually Mr. Jason's wife. No one knows if Mr. Jason's actually has a wife, or if he does, if that wife is mad that his messenger golden eagle is named Mrs. Jason's, or if she likes it, or if she's the one who named it that, or what. Number two is Lord Hitherion. I'll admit that I just straight up used this character's name in the Moon's View, the bedtime story where I referenced Lofty Longings. I changed the name of the show to Watch Your Step, but I used the name Lord Hitherion because, and let me be clear, it's a perfect name. A perfect name. And I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that if I'd been the one to make it up, but Lofty Longings made it up, so I have no qualms about praising the name in the strongest possible terms. It's perfect. Lord Hitherion is the premier alpine guider at Lofty Longings, which means he's basically the boss, meaning he answers only to Mr. Jason's, although not even Lord Hitherion has ever seen Mr. Jason's. Even Lord Hitherion's hiring was facilitated by messages carried back and forth between him and Mr. Jason's by Mrs. Jason's. Also, it's never made clear if Lord is a title or if it's actually his first name. Either way, he's usually depicted exactly as I described him in my bedtime story, wearing black boots, a hunter's orange stocking cap, and a purple and black flannel shirt tucked into sturdy tan pants. When Lord Hitherion is out in the mountains, he's known for carrying his trusty ice axe, which he's named Larabald, and a big coil of fluorescent yellow rope slung over his shoulder. He also carries a trusty six-shooter and a holster on his hip, but he keeps one chamber empty at all times in case fate decides to spare whatever he's aiming at. He's also named his six-shooter. Its name is Herculine. Lord Hitherion is a very accomplished mountaineer, but he isn't always patient with the customers, and that causes problems, especially when the customers are incompetent and sensitive. Lord Hitherion knows that hiking in remote areas of the mountains is inherently dangerous to some degree, but he's big on mitigating risk, a trait that others appreciate but are quick to identify as ironic considering the fact that he lives and works in the risky mountains. He's also an incredible survivalist. You wouldn't believe some of the things he knows how to improve his chances of surviving. Number three is the triplets. The triplets are the two sisters in a set of triplets. The third triplet is a brother, so he's not considered one of the triplets. Also, he doesn't work for lofty longings. The triplets are named Michelle and Lindy Hermel. They look nearly identical except for the fact that Lindy is 6'4 and Michelle is 5'8, so it isn't hard to tell them apart. Also, Lindy, who is the cook at Lofty Lodge, has a big scar on her face from a severe cooking school accident that would have been much worse if she weren't so tall, but wouldn't have been nearly as bad if she had been even taller. One interesting thing about Lindy is that she also lost her senses of taste and smell in that cooking school accident, so she prepares food using her senses of sight, hearing, and feel, as well as her memory and her ability to read and adhere to recipes. The cool part is that most of what she makes turns out pretty good. She's bookish, too, but does not wear eyeglasses. Michelle is one of Lofty Longing's alpine guiders. She excels at spotting animals and pointing them out to customers, which is a valuable skill because most customers love seeing animals but are not good at it. The tours she guides tend to be quiet, peaceful tours, even when disasters strike. Michelle is very calm in the face of adversity, as well as when everything is fine, which probably goes without saying. Even though her hiking boots are held together with tape, twine, staples, bandages, and lunacy glue, she refuses to get new ones for sentimental reasons that are too involved and too heartbreaking to get into now. Number four, Lola and Dad Corbs. Yes, their last name is spelled and pronounced like corpse, but with a B instead of a P, although we only know that from one episode, episode 80. 
Lola is seven years old, and Dad is her dad. Similar to the uncertainty surrounding Lord Hitherion's first name, no one knows for sure if Dad is Dad's first name, or if everyone just calls him that because that's what Lola calls him because he's her dad. Lola is a preternaturally gifted alpine guider, a true child prodigy. But since she's only seven, she can't really guide tours by herself, so Dad goes with her in addition to raising her and homeschooling her at Lofty Lodge. But on the tours, it really is Lola doing all of the guiding. Dad doesn't do any of it. He's just along for Lola to make sure the customers treat her right, to make sure she's polite, to put little adhesive bandages on her scrapes, and because she's afraid to sleep by herself in a tent. Because other than her skill for guidance, Lola is a normal seven-year-old. Dad's just along to parent, basically. Well, and he also carries the gun. Even though Lola is a great alpine guider, Dad just feels weird about letting her carry a gun. But Dad is actually a terrible outdoorsman at the beginning of the series, and only marginally better by the end. Lola either got her alpine guidance abilities from her dad's side of the family, but they skipped the generation, or she got them from her mother, who is never mentioned even once. Or else they just came out of nowhere. A surprise combination of many factors, a purely God-given gift. Dad lets Lola dye her hair purple, and she wears it in a waist-length braid. Dad's head is bald on top, but he has exactly 200 words tattooed in cursive on the bald spot. I'll tell you what they say some other time. He usually wears a cap. He also has a mustache, but it's never used as a source of comedy on the show because the show is good. Number five, Flap Fritter. Flap is gregarious, heavy set, and it's hard to tell how old he is. He has a round baby face, but he has a lot of stories about other places he's been, things he's done, people he's known, etc., it's possible that he's a liar, but he seems like an honest person, and he's accumulated a lot of knowledge somehow. He's one of the alpine guiders at Lofty Longings, and he's very popular with the customers because he's such an entertainer. He fills his tours with constant stories and witty quips and anecdotes. Customers are often surprised when they first meet him because he looks like he's very out of shape, but he has a lot of stamina, and his agility and nimble feet always take people off guard. It's worth noting that Flap eats very little. Whether out in the wilderness or back at Lofty Lodge, his portions are tiny. So with all the exercise and with how little he eats, how does he stay big? Who cares? Number six is Grimace. I always thought it was strange that Lofty Longings had a character with the same name as a McDonald's character who predated Lofty Longings, although it's possible the Lofty Longings creators made him up long before the show was made and or released, so maybe he did predate the McDonald's Grimace. The characters aren't similar in any other ways, and the show has no other pop culture references, so I don't know. But the Lofty Longings Grimace is pretty interesting. He was a feral child who grew up by himself in the Risky Mountains. He never speaks, but seems to understand everything other people say and seems to know how to read. Even though he knows the mountains better than any of the other guiders, he isn't one of the guiders because of his limited interpersonal skills, although he leads all rescue missions if anyone gets lost or hurt. Grimace's main jobs, and again I'm talking about the Lofty Longings character and not the McDonald's character, but his main jobs are taking care of the maintenance and security around Lofty Lodge. Even though he doesn't speak, that doesn't mean he's shy, standoffish, or solitary. Grimace is very social. Also, he doesn't look like a guy who grew up as a feral child. He tucks his shirt in and wears sensible shoes and never howls or aggressively sniffs strangers, and he eats his food cooked just like everyone else. He does hunt and fight with just his hands and teeth, though. Next up is Crushly. Crushly is a yeti who is partially buried under untold tons of rock in a cave two miles from Lofty Lodge. He's only visible from the shoulders up. His left arm is free, his right one is trapped. When the cave collapsed on him, it trapped him but didn't kill him. 
He can't move, and there's no way to get him out without a lot of dynamite that would either blow him up or probably cause even more of the cave to collapse. Foxes bring him food to eat. That's how he survives. It's unclear how long he's been trapped like this. None of the current Lofty Longings employees knew him before he got trapped. Crushly is resigned to his fate, though, and has a generally positive, if weary, attitude. He dispenses wisdom and advice to the Lofty Longings employees when they come and visit him. He has an especially close relationship with Grimace, who visited him often as a feral child and would bring Crushly special treats to eat. Number eight, we should cover the Goats of Ruin. These goats are the regular antagonists in Lofty Longings. They look like mountain goats, but they all have oddly colored mismatched eyes and matted coats that always look either wet or dusty. They seem to speak to each other in their own muttering language, and they're always trying to ram people off of cliff edges with powerful twisting horns. They live high, high up in the Risky Mountains where it's extremely difficult, maybe even impossible for most people to get. The Lofty Longings employees have names for some of the more notorious goats of Ruin, such as Gargathalem, Persaphorix, Theraniquar, and Huzz, among others. These goats of Ruin gained notoriety by exhibiting particularly frightening traits, which I will probably address at a future date. I should also note that the Goats of Ruin from Lofty Longings, as well as the show as a whole, are a big influence on a novel I've recently started writing, which is also based on a bedtime story I wrote called Culture, which was also influenced by Lofty Longings and the Goats of Ruin. I just want to disclose all of that now so that if the novel ever comes out, you won't accuse me of trying to trick you into thinking all of the obvious Lofty Longings similarities are coincidental. It's not stealing material, it's an homage. Anyway, there are other antagonists too, including some very important and iconic ones, and there are many other non-antagonist characters, most but not all of whom are customers of Lofty Longings. But I just wanted to do a general overview of the characters who appear in most episodes of Lofty Longings, without getting into specific storylines or episode synopses. I'll try to do a good job of giving you more information as you need it to understand or better appreciate some of the fan fiction. So, that should do it for this time. I hope it wasn't too long or dry for you, but I'm really excited to share my fandom for this truly exceptional show with all of you. And who knows, maybe by putting this out there, someone who owns the tapes will hear this and send them to me or upload them to YouTube or something. That would be amazing. Oh, and if you have any specific questions about the show, please get in touch. I'm on Twitter at at @hugepop. Or you can email me at adamdren at gmail.com or text me at 574-518-1983. Alright, well the last thing I'll do to close is sign off with the Lofty Longings Alpine Guiders official motto. And I think that's how we'll end every installment. Here it is. Whether slowpoke or a speeder, whether crawler, walker, flyer, follower, or even leader, all are needful of a guider. 